This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 243. As we got some experience doing this, and we haven't done a million deals like some of the guests, but um, you know, it's kind of been a slow and steady. My my thing is, you know, hey, you can be just a regular old Joe and do this kind of thing. You don't have it. to. You yeah. don't have to be the guy out there swinging 50, 50 apartments and and leveraging at eighty or eighty five percent. I mean, you can. I mean, we average out three or four a year, and, and you know, and that's that's our gig. And you know, but it's it's built a pretty good chunk of wealth. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, man? You know, Josh, so I'm sitting here in Scott Trench's office right now with this giant American flag behind America. me. And I'm feeling really patriotic because I'm actually here in Denver right now, which is unusual. Yes. I actually don't live in Denver, which people don't realize that sometimes. But no, I am, uh, I'm actually here in Denver yep. hanging out with you. You're like 40 feet away from me right now. Yep. And I'm about to come give you a big, you know, big, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Smooch. Nuggy. Nuggy. Where you grab somebody by the noogie, where you grab them by the arm and you're like, their head, you know. Yeah, I I don't want to. I don't want a noogie. I don't want to hug. I don't want to smooch. Just you know, not like a wedgie. That would be even. Just better. keep your distance. That's all. <laughs> I'll stay in this office. You stay in yours. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, we'll, anyway, great. so no, it's good to see you, man. Yeah, it is good to see you. Yeah, you know, I got, you got to, I got to meet Rosie this morning. Got to like meet for the, the first famous time. Rosie Lou. Wow, it was too long. It took what fifteen months. She's fifteen months old. Yeah, that's, that's absurd. That's absurd. Yeah. She's cute, well, man. She's very very cute kid. Thank you. She is. She's pretty awesome. Uh, her and Heather are at the zoo right now at the Denver with, Zoo. With my there. wife, by the way. No, she couldn't make it. Oh, so, oh wow. Yeah. Well, she had to stop. I don't know. You should probably find out. Um, hopefully, well, I'm busy next. working, so you know. Yeah, you're know. busy. You know, she's wow. got apparently had uh, you know stuff going on more important than my wife. So. Well, you know, <laughs> listen. Uh, you know, if um, I'm not even going to go there, I'll just stop. <laughs> we'll I'll just watch it out of this. I'll really? just stop. Yeah, you guys, this is show 243 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. <laughs> You can check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 243. We have a great show ahead for you. Before we get into that thing, I, I just don't want to really you know, talk to Brandon much more. So before we get into this thing, Brandon, why don't you share today's quick Today's quick tip is something you all know, but we're going to say it again anyway. Every single week. Every single week, we've got live webinars. That means an online class that we're teaching. I host some of them. Uh, Matt Faircloth teaches some of them. Dave Meyer teaches some of them. And we just sit down and we explain like step-by-step how to do cool stuff in real estate. And they're completely free. You can show up live. Uh, they're usually on Wednesdays or uh, and then also sometimes Thursdays or Fridays. Uh, anyway, come check out what the next webinar is. Go to biggerpockets.com. That's webinar or webinars. I think plural now, but they both go there. They both uh, and yeah, and if you are a Bigger Pockets Pro member, here's a little pro tip. You can actually watch them later. You don't have to watch them live. You can actually show up later as a pro member. So go to biggerpockets.com slash pro replay, and you can check out like over 50 hours of the past ones. And every week we upload the new one there when they record okay. Awesome. There you awesome. go. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Cool. Guys, today's show is really cool. Uh, the, yeah. re- the reason, look, I mean, I know we say that over and over again. Here, here's why I like today's show as much as I do. Our guest is an average guy. You know, he's an average Joe. An average <laughs> Joe. Because his name's Joe. Get yes, it? yes. No, Josh, yes. let me explain. His name's actually Joe. <laughs> what? No, Josh, let me explain. What? So his real name is Joe, and there's a phrase, average Joe. Yes, I get it. All right. Josh, so, okay. JD, 
otherwise known as Joe is our guest. And anyway, so he, you know, he never set out to, to get rich. He never set out to build some empire. He's a regular guy who's looking at his bank account saying, wow, I'm making no money on my money in the bank. You know, the banks pay bubkis as far as interest is concerned. And by the way, bubkis, for those of you use who don't know use. what it means, is nothing. <laughs> and so uh, what what do I do? Like, I, I, I would like to make some money. And, and, you know, instead of going into the market, my presumption, because we didn't really dive into why real estate versus the stock market, but he decided to get involved in the market. And, you, you know... I, I think it's great. I think it's a great path. I think it makes a lot of sense. But by the way, this guy has taken his knocks. I mean, his first real yeah. estate experience was losing over a hundred grand in real estate. Yep. And then he got back and got back on board again. So there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to take away. And, and overall, you know, admirable to, to kind of see how he's, he's gone through his path and lot, lot to learn from Joe. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to have this one. Me too. Should be a lot of fun. So, uh, with that, I don't know, before I bring him in, maybe we, uh, I, you're always saying this, but I'll say it this time because maybe it'll be more, more of an impact because I'm, you know, just so much more eloquent than you are. Eloquent? Eloquent? Wow. How do you say that? Clearly I can't even say the word eloquent. more eloquent than I am. <laughs> what, what, what are you trying to do here? Are you trying to say, hey, Joe, you, welcome no, to the show. No, 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 oh. no, 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 oh, no, 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 like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and be like, Hey, I just left your review and we're going to give you a big giant digital bear hug. You can hit Josh at, at JR Dorkin on Twitter or on Instagram at, at JR Dorkin. Yep. Or you can hit me at Brandon at BP on Twitter or at Beardy Brandon on Instagram. Wow. That's what? awesome. That's awesome. Great. Thank you okay. guys. Thank you in advance. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid Certified Reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six-month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. 
How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high tech sensors that detect break ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day. 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So let's get to the show. All right, Joe, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. It's uh, humbling to be asked. Oh. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun today. So we, we didn't really ask you. I mean, it just kind of you showed up at the office. And yeah, went you're like Josh, Brandon. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be on your show, and we're like, oh, okay. Well, if you put it that way, we have no choice but to have you. So I'm sure. We yeah, I think uh, I can't. I don't remember. I think I maybe had passed a message to many. Say, hey, if you ever need a guest, I'll, you know, those guys sound like they have a lot of fun on there. We so. we ran yeah. out of all qualified guests, which is why we're here. <laughs> so, um, so okay. So speaking of qualified, hey, uh, you, you got to do what you got to do. Right? <laughs> before we get into like your real estate story, I've got a note from Mindy saying that you. Uh, are in a, in a professional rock band and you had a song played at the Super Bowl. Can you tell us real quick? I mean, nothing to do with real estate. I just want to know. I got to know. That is true. A song that I wrote, uh, which is called God Guns and NASCAR, was played <laughs> at the Super Bowl at, with the 49ers and, and Ravens. And uh, how kind of how that got in there was the a, a place we had played, the sound man was picked. He, he worked sound for the Tennessee Titans football team. When they do the Super Bowls, they kind of put an amalgamation together of all the sound people. And so he got to go down there and everybody got to put together a little bit of their song list. And one of my songs was on his playlist. So awesome. I wasn't there, but a hundred thousand people got to hear my crazy hillbilly song. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. nice. That is so, awesome. Yeah. No, no money, but uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> hey, fame and fortune. Well, fame <laughs> without fortune. Real estate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, so let's get into your real estate. How yes. did you get into real estate investing? Okay. Well, I mean, probably maybe typical, like most people did, you know, me, I'm married. Me and my wife had just had bought a, a couple houses that we just lived in just primary residences. And then about 15 or 16 years ago, I guess it would be now, we decided we were going to do some new construction. And the original plan was we were going to build this house. It was going to be our house. And we were going to sell the house that we had. And then we, once we got into it a little bit, we we're like, well, we think we, maybe we can make some money on this and we'll sell the house that we're living in. And we'll, uh, I mean, we'll sell, we'll stay in the house we're living in and we'll sell the new construction house. And it turned into a total disaster. We lost a boatload of money. I mean, we lost six figures worth of money wow. on this on this project and what happened how did you on a spec on a spec bill that you're going to live in how did you um, lose that much money what happened was that the market crashing well yeah it was it was a combination of of things all together i mean it was you know self-inflicted barney fife gunshot wounds that you know we did on ourselves 
it was, you know, the market had the way it was at that time, there was a lot of new construction was being built all at the same time that we were competing with, you know, mistakes that we made cost overruns. We had a construction loan through the, uh, through the financing bank that we were using um, that just dragged on nonstop. And we can, we can pick out any one of these things and go into more detail, but the amalgamation of the group ended up that we, um, we sold at a huge discount, basically to keep them going bankrupt, um, you know, to, to keep from being completely homeless. Wow. 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 Hey, um, so so I, I actually want to dive in more because, you know, your misery makes <laughs> us all feel better about ourselves. No, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, look, you learned something from it. You didn't, you didn't shy away and bounce out of the industry. Obviously, we're going to learn a little bit more about what happened, but since this is a show where, you know, we, we talk to people with the hope to inspire and educate somebody who comes into real estate and says, I want to do a new construction build. I want to build a house from scratch, you know, for investment or even primary residence, right? Mm -hmm. What do they need to do to not become the Joe 15 years late? Well, maybe they want to be you 15 <laughs> years later, but like, you know, the, to, to not have experienced what you experienced and lose six figures. What, what advice would you offer to them? on some of these key mistakes that you made? Well, I think, you know, the primary thing was, I think that our biggest mistake, if we, if I had to point to one was, I think we never really sat down and got the numbers correct. We never sat down, you know, things that we thought, you know, we thought, oh, we'd buy this piece of land and you start, you know, you build a foundation and then you, you build some framing and you plop a house on top and hey, you're finished. And we ended up with things like, for example, the property we bought, we had no idea this property had been used. It was a lot in a little subdivision. We had no idea that it was the filling ground for all of the stump and tree debris for the subdivision. So before we could even start building a foundation, we had about a month's worth of grading and clearing and pulling tree stumps out and just huge cost overruns oh, on this. Yeah, I mean, they were, you know, they were pulling out trees that were, you know, the stumps were probably 150 years old, you know, just enormous trees. Um, so we, you know, before we had started putting a, a piece of cement in the ground, you know, we had probably $30,000 worth of cost overrun. How does somebody avoid that? I mean, like, what what, what would a novice investor need to do to, to know ahead of time that there's stumps in the ground or there's something else in the ground that they wouldn't expect? You know, I would say probably as far as just on raw land, I mean, it would it would, would have helped if the land had been prepped before we actually looked at it. So, you know, when we looked at land, it was overgrown. It had weeds and trees and, and things, brush and scrub and things that you couldn't see in there. So, you know, from, from that aspect, I think that we we looked at the property as, oh, you know, this is this is a great location here at the end of this dead end street. And, and you know, we didn't look at it from an investment standpoint at the beginning. And that was where I think we made our biggest mistake, yeah. you know, just just pointing at the property because we looked at it as, you know, hey, this would be a great place to live. Maybe not such a great place to sell to make some money. Gotcha. Gotcha. Any other bits of advice on this deal that, you know, you would share to help people avoid losing six figures? <laughs> well, I'd say, yeah, I mean, we, we did a construction load, for example, on this property and the, the draws that we had to go through with the bank. I mean, there was a, so many loopholes that you had to jump before they would release funds. So what we started finding is as we were building this house, we were really depleting our own funds, trying to keep subcontractors in business. We did the GC ourselves. And so 
as you know, for example, rough and framing was finished, you know, the framers want to be paid. They don't want to hear about construction loans and, you know, oh, we have to wait, you know, three weeks or four weeks for first union to sign off on this or the inspector to show up and they want their money, yeah. you know? And so what ended up happening when we got maybe, maybe halfway in or a little bit more was we had done a serious amount of depletion of our funds as, you know, the bank came in and they did their inspections and they released funds, but sometimes they would say, well, this is only, 50% done, or we're only going to release X amount of dollars for this project, even though the cost estimates on the front end, you know, when we had gone and gotten a construction loan said that, you know, framing was going to cost this and we'll release this. They might come out and say, well, we're only going to release 75% of that because we think that's what it, it works out to. So by the time we were halfway in, I mean, we had probably depleted, I don't know how much, we had depleted quite a bit of our own funds, just trying to stay ahead of contractors in order to keep people working. But the, you know, once we had really depleted our own funds, then we were really at the mercy of the bank. In order to get projects done, we had to wait on draws and we had to wait on inspections. And, and so the process just started grinding to a halt. And the, the, the whole, the total new build took about 14 months. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. It was just a, a crazy amount of time. And you lost six figures on it. <laughs> yeah. When it was all said and done, when we, when we got close again, you know, when we got real close to the end, we were doing a lot of work ourselves. Wow. We weren't, yeah. we weren't subbing yeah. out so much stuff anymore because we were so far into it. Um, it was going to be a brutal beating. And so would we were you, doing a lot of work ourselves. Would you recommend that at that point, should new investors avoid new construction for their first few deals until they get more experienced? Or do you think that was just a, a lot of freak accidents at one time for you? No, I think, I mean, a lot of our errors were self-inflicted, you know, I mean, we, you know, there was other things that went against us. There was right when we got about 60, 65% into this house on the other side of the road, a developer bought like 200 acres and started dropping houses like mm. pieces of popcorn, you know, yeah. and, and they were dropping houses. The, the build quality was really poor, you know, and, and things that we had done to make our house better build quality, let's say. They weren't doing it all, you know, but, but nobody can see inside walls. People can't see two by yep. six walls and they can't see, you know, special tongue and groove subfloor plywood and things like that. People can't see that. They can see square footage. You know, they can see yep. kitchen bathrooms. And so these guys were dropping these houses down and we were trying to compete with them. So some of it was just some of that timing issue, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just inexperienced. You know, we thought, you know, we thought from, Oh, we've, you know, we've fixed up houses and we've done work on our own houses and, you know, we've, we've remodeled this and that, you know, oh, we can, we can take off from this. Well, no problem. We'll sell our house. No problem. Then when we, when we had a problem with that, we said, we'll make a, you know, pretty good bundle of money on this. And we just did not have the experience to do this at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what happened next? I mean, how, how did you move on? How did you decide to actually get more heavily into real estate after such a horrible thing? And then what, what was that next thing? Okay. Well, after we spent about, I'd say 10 years rebuilding our balance wow. sheet, you know, cause I mean, we're just, we're just normal, regular blue collar people, more or less, you know I mean? I kind of have a white collar now, but, um, <laughs> but be that as it may, after we spent about the next 10 or 11 years rebuilding our balance sheet and getting our finances in order, we started thinking about it because we, I remember it opened a bank statement one day and we've got pension and IRAs and some other stuff, but it opened this bank statement and for, close to six figures in there. I think there was like a dollar fifty in interest in this bank statement. When mm. I opened it up, I was like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna have to do something here. We we cannot leave this money sitting here. This is this is not gonna work out. And right about the same time I had started 
looking at my pension and thinking, you know, I'm getting close to 50 and I started thinking about, okay, what comes next? So thinking about when I retire, what's our money situation going to look like? And I had run my pension numbers and I was like, you know, originally at that time we thought, oh, we'll, you know, pay off whatever remaining mortgage we might have on the house and, you know, stockpile our funds and then take the pension and that'll be it. And I ran the numbers and I was like, oh, wait a second, I'm going to have to have a second job. This ain't going to pan out. So that was when we started really started looking at real estate more seriously, I think, because it was something we said, hey, maybe we should give this thing a second try. You know, we went to this $100,000 school of hard knocks. <laughs> you know, maybe we yeah. try to put some of this knowledge in, into practice. Yeah. And, um, and so that was, that was really when we started looking at things again. All right. So, All right, so what did you, yeah, what'd you do? Sorry, John. Well, Cutting you off. You, you know, we we decided really that we we kind of looked at we thought maybe we might do a fix and flip or something like that. But we and then we said, well, maybe we'll look at some multifamily. We'd had we got an agent. We started looking at things, and um, and ultimately we just kind of fell into single family rentals. I mean, we um, we looked at some multifamily, and there, you know, in the, in the area that I'm in, I'm not in a very big metropolitan area, so you know, where where are you? I'm halfway between Asheville and Johnson City, Tennessee. So Asheville, North okay. Carolina. Most people know where that is. That's where I work in Nashville. And then I live in Tennessee, but I live a little closer to Johnson City, but roughly about halfway between the two. So we invest in Johnson City up in okay. North Tennessee. And you said you okay. fell into single families. Why Why single families? If you were looking at flipping, you were looking at multi, why did you ultimately choose to go with uh, single? Well, when we, you know, the, when we, the multifamily that we looked at was pretty daunting. I mean, it was... The stuff that we looked at that we thought, you know, because we went into it, you know, this was not really having a lot of knowledge about the Burr method and leveraging and all those kind of things that, you know, maybe come later. This was really just, you know, me and my wife, a couple of people thinking, hey, we've got this bundle of cash and, you know, maybe we should do something with this. So when we looked at what kind of fit into that category, we were like, you know, wow, these are some, these things are going to need some really major work. This is going to be some, some big projects. So we kind of expanded our viewpoint to say, well, let me, let's look at some houses and see how those work out. And eventually you found a house. It was a tired landlord. It was somebody who had uh, had a property that was a rental. They had rented out and um, had real poor quality renters and, and, a, and a pretty poor quality house. But when you went inside and you looked at it, you kind of see, you know, from our experience with building the new construction and just our general real estate experience in, in our own life, I mean, we knew about electrical and plumbing and, and drywall and, and floors and all those kind of things. And you can kind of go into this place and see, hey, you know, this place really isn't that bad. And so we threw out an offer, which was, you know, I thought kind of a low ball, crazy offer. And they took it. You know, they said, hey, we're we're ready to be out of this game. And uh, and they took it. They said, well, we're not going to fix anything for that price. And we said, well, that's OK. We'll okay. take care of it from here. What was what was it on the market for and what did you offer? So I think we, I think we ultimately settled at thirty-seven, and I think it was maybe sixty or something like that, wow. somewhere in that neighborhood. So yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty good spread. And then we ended up when we re, when we ended up rehabbing the house. I think we ended up with around eleven thousand dollars or so in the rehab, all in all. And then later on, this most everything we have is owned free and clear. We don't have much in the way of leverage. We have a couple of houses that we've actually done the burr method so to speak on when we needed to free up some cash to do some other deals but but pretty much everything we own we own outright so so 11k really quick on that 37 is at 48 what what's that house worth or what was it worth after you fixed it it's worth almost 100 now got it got it so 
Yeah. And what did it rent? What did it rent for? The house rents right now for almost a thousand. That's great. Yeah. That's really good. Yep. So yeah. I want to dive in on a couple of things here. But first of all, I like that you mentioned the tired landlord. Yeah. You know, like a, a sure. fail, like tired. Like there are, I, I say, tell people that a lot. That there's a lot of landlords who just hate being a landlord. Like a lot of them out there. In fact, I would. I mean, I don't know the percentage, but like it's, it's probably like. 80% of landlords just hate being landlords, you know, like they get into it for whatever reason they inherit a house or maybe they run a book or whatever, but they're, they're not good at it. They don't like it. They lose money in it. And so one of those things is like, if you're out there, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, I can't find any deals, like your strategy could be as simple as find landlords and ask them if you can buy their property. Cause there's a very good chance that they hate being a landlord and would sell if the price was right. Or maybe even if the price, they just sell for any reason, just, they want to get out. I never un- underestimate the the hatred people have for tenants, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. These people that we actually bought this house from, I mean, they, I remember we were sitting there at the closing and, and we, you know, like I said, we really didn't have any idea. We, before we bought this house, we kind of sat down and did worst case scenario. Like we, you know, we took such a beating on that new construction that we, we sat down and we ran numbers, you know, and this was actually before I even knew about the BP calculators and things like that. But we, yeah. we ran similar numbers of that and said, okay, what's our worst case scenario if we buy this house and you know we can't rent it and we have to sell it, we fix it up and you know how much money would we stand to lose and all that kind of stuff. And we found the worst case scenario really wasn't bad at all in the case of what we were doing in terms of what we were buying it for. But I remember we were sitting at the closing and uh so I had no real idea how much things rented for. I, mean, I had a you know kind of a vague idea, but no, you know, no nothing for sure. We hadn't tried to rent any houses out. Yeah. And I asked the guy and I said, well I said, what What do you usually get for rent here? He said, oh, I usually don't have too much trouble getting maybe $400 or so. And I was like, wow, I almost fell out of my seat. I was like, oh, gosh, if I have to rent this $400, I'm going to lose a lot of money. <laughs> so hopefully I can do better than that. And, you know, of course, thankfully, we what we found was that he was just attracting a poor quality tenants. You know, yeah. the, I mean, he had a house where he, he had one room that was, one wall was paneling and one wall was pink and one wall was a different color and yeah. the ceiling had been painted in 20 years. And just, you know, those kind of things where they just had given up essentially. They just said, well, we're not going to yep. fix anything. We're not going to paint anything. We're not going to clean a window. We're not going to do anything. Yeah. And, you know, and so we put a little bit of, of effort into it and really uh, made it work pretty well. That's so cool. R- really quick, a couple things to share for those people listening. One is, um, know your numbers. Uh, so before you buy yeah. the house, you got to know what this thing's going to rent out for, right? Obviously, we know that now, but you know, it's it's not that obvious. You know, it's not no. that obvious to everybody. So make sure you know what the numbers are, what what kind of rents it can fetch, a property can fetch if you're going to be uh, becoming a landlord, and those opportunities, like a house in that condition, is a great opportunity to come in, tweak it, fix it, and you know, raise the rents dramatically. So. Yeah, that's it's you know, investors get really excited when they see those kinds of things. And oftentimes the folks who are selling don't really know the value of the property anyway. They they just they have no way to 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 determine it. So anyway, that that said also you had mentioned the bigger pockets calculators. Uh folks can get to the calculators on bigger pockets by going to biggerpockets.com slash analysis. That's biggerpockets.com slash analysis. And we've got calculators to help you analyze flips or buy and holds or all sorts of cool stuff. So check that out. Yeah, my my wife often says that she thinks that the people who own that house probably want, when it comes up every once in a while it'll come open. It stays rented. It's, it's never had more than a couple of days vacancy. But 
she says when the people who own that house, when they see it up for rent, they probably just fall over dead when they see yeah. the rents that we get from this house. Well, I found the same thing is true. You know, in, in this might not be true, you know, where Josh is at, where, you know, like Denver or like really expensive markets, but in, in a more rural market, like where I live and maybe where you're investing, like there are so many bad houses and people that's who right. don't, the pink walls and carpet that's 30 years old and people are renting them. And so what I found is the same thing that you did is, is they might be getting 400 and I can get 800 or more just by having it look halfway decent, by having new carpet and having nice walls you know like it's crazy yeah yeah but there are there are a lot of good tenants in bad areas or small areas and that they just have nowhere to rent they're just like well i i you know i don't want to rent the crappy place for 400 i would gladly pay eight nine thousand dollars there's just nothing available so when you can be that and you can be that niche in a market like that it's a really good niche to have yeah one thing we found was that we you know in our area there's such a lack of professionalism that yep, yep. you're only competing against yourself you know there, yeah. there's really no competition against the other landlords as a matter of fact we uh, we had a house up for rent once and uh, a, a college student ended up renting it and he he came to look at it with his mother and he he looked at the house and and they they looked at the house and when they were done he said he said this place only costs that much it should cost a lot more <laughs> his mother wanted to <laughs> slap him across the face nice. shut up I'm paying for this. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I want to go back to one more thing because I get this question all the time. Uh, you know, I do these live webinars, bigger pockets webinars every week, sure. and we always analyze deals on them. And and in the process of analyzing the deal, obviously the, the question comes up: how much will it rent for? And where you said earlier, you didn't know, like, you know, the guy said 400, you were hoping you'd do more. Now that you're an experienced investor today, can you talk to the people listening to this right now? How do they know if they're looking at a property, how do they even know what it's going to rent for? Well, we, you know, one thing we do now with, as we pick up new houses, you know, of course we, now we know our market pretty good. So we have enough houses in our market and have enough track record that we have a pretty good understanding what things will rent for. And so nothing stays on the market very long, but you can certainly do comparisons with Zillow and, and Realtor.com and truly and other places like that. You can go to, to open houses and see the houses yourself and kind of compare what's the neighborhood look like? What does this house compare to what I have or what I'm thinking about doing in the house that I've got, you know? I mean, it's really just kind of doing your research, you know, putting yourself out there, you know, driving around, looking at the neighborhoods. You know, we when we buy houses, I mean, we buy specific neighborhoods. You know, there's even in a rural area somewhat that we're in. I mean, there's places that I know we're not going to buy a house in that neighborhood. It's not going to be easy to rent. A single woman is not going to rent in that neighborhood. So we're not going to touch that place, you know. So just knowing your neighborhoods. And that's, you know, that's one of the things about maybe investing out of town. Sometimes I think it could be real troublesome for people that. Mm -hmm. Real estate is local for sure. Yeah. You know, when, when the crash happened in 2007, 2008, you know, I, I work in, in the utility industry and, you know, it really affected the city that I work in terribly. I mean, the housing developments around here, a number of them went bust. But where I live and where I invest, those people there barely even knew it happened. Yeah. You know, the growth has been kind of slower and steady. So you didn't have this kind of explosiveness like we had here in Asheville where I work. But on the flip side of things, the the market was a lot more stable. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think knowing your markets is is key for sure. Hey, Joe, how yeah. does how does somebody do that? You know, I'm I'm a nobby, nob, nobby, I'm a nobby, I'm a novice, <laughs> a hobbyist, nobby. I don't know. New, I was say newbie, new hobby, newbie, novice, yeah, yeah, hobby. Know, put it together. Nobby. That could be our bigger pocket T-shirt. Well, I'm, I'm a nobby. Big pocket nobby. terms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how does somebody know whether or not a neighborhood's going to be one? that will work for them. Obviously what works for you is going to be different than what works for Brandon is going to be different than what works for, 
you know, any of a number of the listeners. So, but for them, how would somebody really determine what's an okay neighborhood for them to, to be thinking about? I, I think, you know, you have to, if you know what your strategy is, like, let's say you're, let's say we're talking about buy and hold and you're going to be renting out houses. You know, I think the next thing is you have to really know who do you want to rent to. Uh, you know, there was a discussion in the forums a couple of weeks ago um, where somebody had posted up about, you know, oh, somebody has terrible housing and how, how can they, you know, provide such terrible housing? And it was a pretty long thread. And, you know, the upshot of it was, well, hey, even people that really can't afford much or are addicted to drugs or on the verge of homeless, they have to have some place to live to. And these particular landlords, that's their market. Those are the tenants they cater to. You know, they they understand that they're going to be evicting people every four months or struggling for the rent, but that's their, that's what they're aiming for. So, you know, if you know what your tenant class, we knew from the beginning that we didn't want to deal with things like section eight. We didn't want to deal with, you know, having to have a lot of evictions and and things like that. So we wanted to attract a higher class tenant. And so then we had to think, okay, well, what are those tenants going to want? You know, what are the amenities that are going to be important? What are the neighborhoods that are going to feel safe living in or, we're close to shopping or close to school or close to the university, you know, we're a university town. So, you know, co- close to the college. So we knew the kind of people that we wanted to attract on the front end. And then we geared what we did to that strategy. So, there you, go. you know, I like that. I like that know, a if, lot. If, yeah. if you knew, if you knew you were just going to provide say lower class, you know, I was listening to some of your earlier podcasts about the, you know, the trailer parks and I can't remember the guest's name, but, you know, talking, saying, Hey, we bought a trailer park and their clientele was this, you know, people that were just in and out. They didn't have documentation. They didn't have a job, you know, things like that. We didn't, the only check we did was, do they have $600 in their hand, you know, things like that. And then he said, we wanted to turn that trailer park around and attract a different class of people. So they, they did, they aimed for a different core tenants. Yeah. And, and that's so important. One of the things that we, we talk about at bigger pockets all the time is how do we help, people who've never done a deal to get to that first deal? How do we help the people who, you know, may have started, but are struggling and can figure out, you know, what direction to take, how to do that. And and so one of those key decisions is absolutely like, what's your tolerance of risk? You know, what are you willing to put up with? Do you want to deal with evicting, you know, addicts in the middle of the night? Now that look, that could happen in any neighborhood, but you know, likelihood is, is higher in, in tougher neighborhoods, right? To deal with more of the problems. So you're, you're never clear from that. Even, even the Uber rich uh, are <laughs> dr- drug addicts, you know, they're, they're, they're in that sure. class, right? So, but yeah, so for f- folks to really think about the class of tenant allows you to now create this image in your head. Hey, these are the people that I want to work with. This is the kind of neighborhood, the kind of area, you know, I, I don't want to invest in an area that where there's bars on the, on the windows. Right. Right. I don't want to invest in an area where, you know, the crime reports say that there's break-ins on in the cars every single week. You got to look at that. You got to look at all these things. This is not just like a, Hey, I want houses that are cheap. Well, that that doesn't mean anything. That's not going to tell you what kind of success you're going to have or what kind of headaches you're going to be dealing with. Sure. You know, one of the things I do, I mean, I know most of our neighborhoods now pretty well, but one of the things I do that I did at the beginning was I would drive around a neighborhood at say two or three o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And you may say stereotyping or whatever, but if I saw a lot of able-bodied young men hanging around a neighborhood at two or three o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, I would have to think about that neighborhood. You know, those people probably should be working somewhere. Maybe they all have night jobs, but the, the likelihood is that you're yeah. you're looking in an area where there's a lot of people that just kind of maybe are down on their luck or 
don't have employment opportunities and things like that, you know, and that's going to attract a different class of people than what we wanted to rent to. Yeah. Yep. And to go with what you said earlier, you know, sometimes in a, in a market, I mean, like I know my market, like I know that there are certain streets that the price is the exact same as this little sub neighborhood, you know, or, or this street is the same price as this street, but I would never buy in this street and I would buy in this one. And that's where right. out of town investors run into problems. Like all they see is, the numbers like this would rent, you know, this is and even, but the rent might be the same purchase price, same. I would never buy here because I, I just know. Right. So I would, you know, if you're going to a market, you don't understand you, let's say you live in an expensive market, you want to buy, you know, in another market, turnkey, whatever, like you've got to connect with local people who have lived there for years. Like maybe fly out there, drive out there, sure. you know, make some friends on bigger pockets who invest in that market. Cause if somebody comes to me, I'm going to tell them don't buy on that street. Or at least I would tell them I would never buy there, <laughs> but I would buy here. I'm, I'm happy to tell people that because I know my market. I know what's one street to another. So yeah, if you're sure. looking at a market and you don't know that to that degree then find somebody who does and ask for help. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, some of the, the last, the last year or two, some of the deals that we were beat out on, they would have been deals at the right price. And some of these houses, what the price they ended up selling for us, like, you know, these people are crazy. You know, there's no way they're going to make any money on this house, you know, and then talking through my agent, who it's not a very big area. So everybody knows everybody else. And you find out, you know, a month later, oh, it's, you know, somebody from Charlotte or somebody from Atlanta that bought that house, you know, it's going to be a big investment. Well, probably not at the price they paid, you know, (laughs) what, I mean, maybe one day. I mean, I'm I'm not omnipotent. If I was, I would have never lost so much money on the construction. But nevertheless, listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. 
How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. All right. So what have you done since then, right? I mean, it sounds like you've been buying single families. Is that, is that it? I mean, walk us big, big picture. The last, if, if my math is right, the last 15 years since you kind of got started and bought that first, not the new construction, but the first house. What, what have you done since then? Well, this whole thing, we never really, I don't know that we actually set out to, to be real estate investors. You know, we're just working class people that yep. had a chunk of money to do something with that we had saved up. I mean, kind of a nest egg, if you will. I mean, we, we had this money and we said, and maybe that's a little more dangerous than somebody who uses leverage because then the bank has to say, hey, is that a good deal or not? Whereas, you know, it's just us with our pot of money and say, you know, hey, you want to take some of this so we can have that house and work ourselves to death? So maybe that's a little dangerous, but we never really set out to do that. I mean, we we just said, hey, you know, let's try to put this money in something that will make a little bit more than a dollar fifty every month. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, as it turned out, as we bought properties to accumulate about a dozen properties, we've created an income stream that essentially it replaces my salary for sure. I mean, if I I love my job and I love I love what I do, but if for some reason my elected board decided, hey, we don't want you anymore, I guess I would just be retired a little earlier than I thought because, um, you know, we we created an income stream out of this thing and and a fixed asset wealth. I'm not, I'm just that's just the cash flow. If you, you know, if we were to harvest off the equity in in all the houses we have, and we, you know, we've created about seven figures of wealth, and you know. I don't know that we set out to do that. It just kind of, you know, one turned into another, turned into another. And as we did it and we got some experience and we knew, okay, renters will pay for square footage and they'll pay for a dishwasher and central heat and air, but they're not going to pay for a granite countertop. They don't, renters aren't going to pay for stainless steel appliances. You know, 
They don't want those things. Renters want location. They want a, a safe neighborhood. They want the most square footage and storage and some basic amenities. You know, and so as we got experience doing that and understanding the market better, really just snowballed to where you know, I mean, we we bought one house where we bought it for fifty thousand. I think we had three or four thousand dollars in rehab costs, and the house is worth one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. You know, it's wow. As we got some experience doing this, and we haven't done a million deals like some of the guests, but um, you know it's kind of been a slow and steady. My my thing is, you know, hey, you can be just a regular old Joe and do this kind of thing. You don't have it. to. I you don't have to be the guy out there swinging 50, 50 apartments and and leveraging at eighty or eighty five percent. I mean, you can. I mean, we average out three or four a year, and, and you know, and that's that's our gig, and you know, yeah. but it's. It's built a pretty good chunk of wealth. So you're at, you're at that, a dozen now. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. And are you aiming to increase that, or are you pretty happy with where you're at? No, I think you know it's one of those things where right now the market has gotten hotter. So uh, like everybody says, you know, pretty much every market saying, oh, there's no deals to be had, and it's even where I'm at, it's gotten tough. Where I look at things, and you know, some of it's just my perception. Oh, I was buying this house for thirty, and now I have to pay sixty. You know, yep. so some of it's just unrealistic expectations yeah. on my own part. You know, but the market has gotten hotter and, and what based on what you can charge for rent and what you can collect. So, you know, some of that maybe is slowed down. But, you know, we've seen some, you know, some other opportunities. What we found is that there's no good professional management where we are. I mean, the 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 management opportunities that are here are really limited and poorly done. So, and so that's probably an area that we're going to branch into. We've had people ask us, hey, would you manage our property? Or would you be interested in doing something like that? Um, so maybe kind of branching into that, picking up some deals, talking about maybe going to some smaller multifamilies, but I don't know. We've, we've never really said for sure, you know, I can't say, you know, oh, we have this strategy and, you know, that's where I want to be in in 10 years. I mean, if it's a good deal and it's making money, Hey, (laughs) you know, let's talk about it. What I, you know, what I really like about your story is that, I mean, you didn't come at this, like I'm going to be the next Grant Cardone. I'm not going to go out and buy millions and millions of dollars of properties overnight. And I'm like, you're working a day job. You're working a job. You you like your job. You want to get a better retirement. You want to build wealth, but you're not out there hustling 50 hours a week to try to build your portfolio. You know, you're you bought a dozen houses, and then you you said earlier you don't have really mortgages on most of them, right? That's so right. Like they just produce good cash flow. It's a secure investment. If the market tanks, you're not you have no mortgage. I mean, it's just it's such a conservative, easy. I don't know, easy. That's not the right word. Simple, like strategy. That you should work simple for people <laughs> in wow. a good way, in a really good way, you know? Yeah, this is like, I don't know. I think this is something like most of our listeners probably are in your shoes 10 years ago, or maybe they're on the same journey as you are. They're saying, you know, I don't need a billion dollars. I just want enough that if I lost my job or if I wanted to quit my job at some point, I could. And you don't have to have 50 units. You got a dozen properties and they pay all your bills. And I think that's, I mean, that's financial freedom in my mind. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like I said, it's, it wasn't necessarily a strategy that we started out with as, as much as it just became the strategy. When, yep. when we sat down and looked at, you know, after we said we would do the first one and we, you know, we actually had, when we started off, we had figured we had enough money, cash, our own cash to do about two houses. So we said, well, we'll do the first one and see what happens. And it turned out so well. We said, well, let's do another one. Right. right. <laughs> so, so we did another one. <laughs> so for 50 grand per house, you took your 100 grand that you had saved up, you know, and you were gotten, getting way the hell more than the one tenth of a percent that you were getting in the bank. Right. And it's a good means to an end. And all of a sudden, 
the next one and the next one. So how, how'd you get to the third and the fourth and the fifth house? How did you finance those? Well, because I have a, a pretty good pay in day job, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I make a, a reasonable standard of living. I didn't have to do this. We saved up the money from someplace. Yeah. So what we did was we just turned all those profits back into the business. So we grouped everything under a, a business name with the later on with the thoughts that hey, we might want to do some property management or something like that. So we kind of early on created a little business name and just grouped all the rentals underneath the business name. And every dollar essentially that we got from that, you know, we didn't take it and go out, buy a Tesla or sit, you know, quit our jobs and stay home watching Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> you guys always make fun somebody's of been, show, somebody's I mean. been to Somebody's been to my webinars. Yeah. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, you know, so we didn't, we didn't take that money and do that. We took all those funds and just rolled it back in the business. And pretty soon, I mean, the, the, the houses are paying for themselves. They't buying the next house. Yeah. You know, no, there isn't any money coming out of our pockets. You know, yeah. we're just we're just taking that money and just letting it buy the next house. And so the tenants are buying the houses. You know, it's a concept I call I call that cash flow recycling because I like putting names to things, right? Like when you take the cash flow and you you don't spend it, you recycle it into a new property. Then that now is producing cash flow. You recycle that into the next one and then the next one. And it's such a powerful way to grow wealth because you're basically using exponential growth to build a portfolio. And so you might start small, but pretty soon you're getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And it's called playing amazing. with the casino's money, Brandon. <laughs> there you go. I like. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is an amazing, it is. Yeah. It, yeah, it's an it. amazing snowball effect. Yeah. I see a lot of people, I spend a lot of time on the forums and I love the, the bigger pockets forums, big wow. shout out to those things. They're, they That's are funny. great. I spend a lot of time on the forums and you know, I mean, not every question, but there's a lot of questions. You know, Hey, I don't have any money and I want to start real estate investing and I want to quit my job, you know, in a month, what should I do? Yeah. Don't. Yep. You know, you're probably going to have to work for a while. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. But that might have been asked by like somebody who is like between 18 and 29, who I just offended like 80% of our <laughs> listeners. No, look, I mean. Well, and it, and it can be done, right? We've had examples of people who do it, but, but they're not doing it off of buying a rental property. I mean, they they make a business like flipping houses. Yeah, that's right. that's it's how an it, active. It's, sure. Right. You want an active job. business. You want yeah. to put your job fine. There's ways to do it. But for most of like most people like have a decent job, make a decent salary, like their job. They just don't want to stay there forever. Yeah. And your strategy, I think is perfect for that. I mean, I yeah. think it's, yeah. you know, one of the things that, one of the things about this, I, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to pretend that this is all passive. Cause I mean, there's, we spend a lot of sweat equity on houses yep. and things like this. So I don't want to pretend like, you know, Oh, we just bought this and everybody sat around and made money. Cause that's not the case <laughs> at all. Sure. But, I can honestly say, you know, once the house is rehabbed, because the, the one strategy that we decided to do early on was we were going to full rehab the house from the very beginning when there was no people in it. You know, yep. if it needed a roof, it's getting a roof. If it needed a heating system, it's getting the heating system. So that when we put somebody in there, that was pretty much the end of it. We weren't going to deal with the house anymore other than collecting the rent, dealing with an odd call here and there. And that has pretty much been the case. Yeah. I mean, I would estimate, you know, most houses we spend, if a house doesn't turn over a tenant, you know, I would estimate that we spend five or six hours a year on the house. I, I'm not kidding. I mean, once a once the house is in, most of our tenants want to be left alone. They don't want the landlord coming and knocking and hey, how are you doing? And can I can I come bother you and all that? So you know, you spend it, it's almost as passive as you can get. And I wanted this to be with the least amount of aggravation as you could possibly get because I have enough going on in my own life right now that you know I don't need a, a job that has a hassle. And that's that's where we come with some of our strategies. Like we don't take section eight. I mean, I don't have anything against section eight. It's just, it's one more thing. I have to have an inspection. I have to interface the, the pay with where the government pays and the, the tenant pays part of it. And, you know, it's just not something we want to get into. I just want somebody who wants a nice clean place 
that's just going to pay their money and be done with it. That's great. Yeah, that's great. So where do, where do you where do you go from here? I mean, it sounds like if something comes up, you may pick it up if it makes sense. If not, you're not. There's no aspiration here to kind of do anymore. You're in a you know you're a regular old Joe trying to just uh, <laughs> make a dollar and live a live a solid life and and using real estate as a as a means to help you get towards that retirement that you're hoping to have in a way where you know it's not just your pension and social security kind of giving you enough to barely survive on. It's hey, I can actually plan ahead and build this lifestyle. Is is that fair? Yeah, that's pretty fair. I mean, I have, I've got a few more years before I could take early retirement here at my job. And, uh, you know, I haven't made that decision yet. You know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when we get, when I get to that spot. But what it's done by creating this extra income stream, it's just, it's opened up possibilities. I teach for two different universities and, um, and I enjoy doing that. I love, I love the teaching. Uh, you know, I teach public administration and economics and budgeting and things like that. And I love doing that, you know, and that may be something that I might want to keep doing on a regular part-time basis. And this just opens that avenue up for that. You know, it creates, um, I can't remember the term, but one of the, one of the other bigger pockets uh, members had a term for this. You know, I don't remember what the, what the, what the term was, but having all these income streams, you know, yeah. where you've got this money coming in that if you don't want to work, fine. You just stay at the house, but you want to work. You're not really dependent on it. You may, you do what you want to do because it's not really so much the money. Your, your needs are covered. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, listen, thank you so much. This is great. I I love what you've done. You know, congrats on what you've built for yourself and your family. Obviously, lots of luck going forward. I think it's time, though, Brandon. It is time for the fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, let's get to these fire round questions. These questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, which I know, JD, you are very active in, and we appreciate that. And I know a lot of other people have gotten a lot of good advice from you. So let's see what you got to say on these questions. Number one, can I get started with real estate with 20 grand? And if so, how? Sure. I mean, you know, you can, if you're in the right market, you know, I mean, that's, that could be a pretty good chunk of a house in the, in the right market. I know. Some places you obviously don't want to be buying houses in war zones and places that are, you know, not going to have any return. But that's a pretty good chunk of money. And if you don't, if you're in a different kind of market, that's a 20% down payment on a $100,000 house. So I think if you use that money to leverage, and I'm a big, big fan of leveraging, even though we don't do much of it ourselves, you know, I, I mean, I know that it's if you want to really exponentially grow, I mean, that is a good way to do it because. I can just see from the few that we did, even though most of our cash is locked up in the houses and we haven't harvested that equity, you know, I can see from the few that we did how we really grew that. And you take that 20 grand and, you know, take another 80 grand in leverage, you've got a hundred thousand dollar house right there. There's your start. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. All right. So next question. Hmm. I, I just had a question and, and Brandon, trolling me decided to delete it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go to the next question here. I wanna, I'm I, I, <laughs> you kind of answered. That's why I went. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. I went over to one of my tenants units at a fourplex I own in Kern County, California yesterday. When I knocked on the door, the tenant tried not to let one of her dogs out. It squeezed between her and the dog and immediately bit me, landlord, on the lower leg, drawing blood and a puncture wound. Besides the medical end of the situation, which I took care of immediately with antibiotics, have any of you experienced the situation? What should I do? Get rid of the dog? Question mark. 
So what do you do? Your tenant has a dog that bites you. <laughs> how, <laughs> how do you deal with it? It's It, it kind of sounds like they may not have even included anything on the lease for a dog and maybe they didn't include something about a vicious dog, but uh, what's your take on this? Well, we, you know, we actually rent to a lot of people. I'm, I'm amazed, you know, some of the people in the, in the board in the forums will say, well, we don't allow any pets, but we, I would estimate easily 75 to 80% of our applicants have pets for sure. So we rent to a lot of people that have dogs and we have requirements on the dog has to be fixed. It has to have all of its current shots. Occasionally, we meet the dog. <laughs> we make that a requirement. So if if the logistics make sense, you know, sometimes it's not possible. But I mean, in a case like that, I don't know. That would probably be something where we'd be looking to say, you know, you're probably going to need to make some alternate arrangements to to move on here. Because in a case like that, where a dog has really come out and bit somebody else, I mean, that's an insurance liability. So. You know, it probably wouldn't bother me personally, but I don't want the plumber getting bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, right. yeah, that's always a tough one. All right, next question: Electric versus natural gas range ovens uh, for tenants. Like, if you could have a choice, and like, let's say there's natural gas at the house, or you're gonna put in an electric one, what would you do? Well, I, I know a lot of people like cooking with gas, and uh, and we like cooking with gas, but I just think electric is much less trouble. It's much easier to swap out. Something goes wrong. You go in, you pull the the range out, and you pop a new one in, and boom, you're done. So just from ease of of turning over, a lot of tenants may not understand how to use the gas properly. If you can have a gas leak, so that's not something that I would. If I had a choice, I would go with with electric. Now on the heating side of things, if we were talking about heat, I like having gas heat because it kind of saves some of the wear and tear on your condenser. So if you you know on your compressor unit that's outside. Um, if you have gas heat and, and AC central heat in there and, and you have gas heat, then it makes your unit outside run half as much. So, but from a stove, yeah, electric for sure. Brandon, what do you do? Gas or uh, same thing. I, electric stoves all the way. I'll put those oh. in all day. Just, yeah, just for the same reason. I mean, if it was a really high end house, I might leave natural gas. Like if it was a really good yeah. tenant. Right. Yeah. Right. But if, if you had somebody, you know, if you had a house that you knew was going to have, you know, somebody in it that really wanted to cook. Um, yeah. But I, actually, I can say some of our houses we've gone in after a tenant's been there for a year and the stove hasn't been used. <laughs> so, oh wow! <laughs> you know, nice. nice. The microwave was used, but not the stove. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Last question: What is your best advice for tenant screening? Oh boy. Well, I think that's where I mean, knock on wood, we've had nothing but great tenants, and I think that it comes down to our screening. And you know, my wife plays a huge part in this because she is a really good judge of character present company accepted. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. So she's pretty good at, at talking to a tenant and saying, hey, this person's probably going to be trouble just getting a feel for them, you know, and then we combine that. So she kind of takes the people into that of that equation. And then I'll take the more technical end of things where I do the background screening online and go through their, their written application. And, you know, we have requirements on first and last and deposit and maybe a little str- more stringent than other people. But what I've found is that people, if you if you screen a tenant and you look at their credit report, I don't, I don't mean just getting a credit score, but you look at their credit report, you look at their background and eviction check, and you look at their application, and you see somebody that has stable work, no felonies, no evictions, no real anything on their credit scores. I mean, 
most people don't just turn into psychos from out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, most people, there's going to be some warning flags. And, yeah. you know, and I think the people that run into trouble ignore the warning flags. You know, they, yep. they see something on there, but they're so desperate to get somebody in the place. They just say, well, I'm going to, you know, kind of overlook that and talk myself out of it. And yeah. we haven't done that. You know, at knock on wood, we, Good for you. we haven't, we haven't done that. We've, you know, never really been afraid of vacancies. We own the house. So it's not like, Oh, you have to run out and pay the mortgage bill. So uh, that's that's another reason why having, you know, no mortgage. And again, there's that debate all day long. People talk about leverage versus not, but that is a huge benefit of not having a mortgage. That's right. You can wait a month, two months, three months. You know, that was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from uh, anybody. When I first got into real estate, got my first rental, somebody said, like, if it means sitting empty for a month, two months, doesn't matter. It's kind of tenant you get will determine your success more than anything else in the world. So like get the right tenant. And yeah, every time I've had, every time I've had an eviction with somebody, I've had a red flag. Like I, and I, that I avoided, you know, like I mentally, I was like, oh, you know, yeah. yeah, I ignored. I'm like, it's okay. You know, I, they've changed. No. Yeah. I, yeah and I, I did that with my co-hosts. I mean, I, I had to pick up <laughs> a litter and there were so look, many to choose from. Look at what I ended up with. <laughs> look what you ended up with. This, this handsome devil. I mean, yeah. We we've had such good tenants that we've had we've placed people just on referrals. You know, a place hasn't even come vacant. We we haven't advertised it. I mean, I have I have signs. We never even put them in the yards anymore because we do you know half of our placement just out of referrals. Somebody that we've had a successful tenancy with, and tenants move for whatever reason. They go to school someplace else, or they take a job out of town, or they want to buy a house. You know, there's no rhyme or reason to why they move, and and they'll say, you know, hey, I know somebody that's going to be looking for a place and. Most people kind of tend to stick together. So people that are good people have good friends. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. I think I think we got four questions that we want to We ask do at this, a time. This man. Four. <laughs> Famous four. <laughs> All right. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. And I know you've heard them, but I'll ask you anyway. Number one, what is your favorite real estate related book? My favorite real estate related book is kind of older, but it is Real Estate Investing for Dummies by oh, Eric cool. Tyson. And it's kind of the first book I just started off with. But, um, you know, it really, I mean, it, it explains things that you might feel dumb asking somebody else. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> which which is yeah. also the reason Bigger Pockets exists. I mean, like, I mean, tr- yeah. seriously, like that's why the forums are there. That's why our community exists is there aren't dumb questions. There just aren't. I mean, like if you've never done this before, you don't know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know mm-hmm. what to ask. And I felt like people needed a place where they can just go and feel free to ask any question, no matter how quote unquote stupid it was. And you know, the truth of the matter is we all appreciate it because even, even today, like Brandon, how many years later, I mean, you're reading stuff on the site and learning. Yeah. I'm listening yeah, to actually, guests yeah. and reading I just stuff posted something. I just posted something last night in the forums because I was like, I had a question about something and I was like, hey, yeah, let's find out what people got to say because exactly. I didn't know. Exactly. So yeah. awesome. Awesome. All right. Cool. Next question. What is your favorite business book? Oh boy, that one's tough because I listen to a lot of business books. I do a lot of audio. I listen to a lot of audio books and I, yep. uh, I do a lot of business books. So I, I don't know if I could pick one, but I could pick a couple. I, uh, I love Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. I think uh, people, a few people mentioned that before, but it really kind of speaks to me along the Mr. Money Mustache type, uh, <laughs> type mentality. I think sometimes in, you know, you want to build your real estate and your investing and your income, you know, but you kind of need to know, you know, what's your enough number. I mean, you could do this until you're dead. You could do it nonstop yep. and kill yourself doing it. So, you know, what is the number that, what are you aiming for in life? So I, I really enjoy that book. 
hundred dollars startup by Chris, Chris Gilbo is a great book. Um, it's, you know, yeah. I like inspirational books and I like inspirational people. The Millionaire Next Door is one of my favorites. Tim Ferriss's book, Four Hour Work Week. Some of them are just, they make you think outside the box. You know, they make you think, hey, what are the possibilities? Yeah. Not, not just focusing on what's right in front of your face, but what's possibilities, you know, five years down the road. I love it. There you go. Love it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Hobbies. What do you do for fun outside of all this real estate stuff? Well, I play music in a rock band. I have a band called the Rhythm Brewers, rhythmbrewers.com. Shameless plug. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Um, Wait, say that again. It's the what? What's the band name? Rhythmbrewers.com. Rhythm. Rhythm Brewers, like brewing beer. Brewers, like <laughs> brewing a beer. Rhythm Brewers. Okay. Rhythmbrewers.com. So play music, um, uh, play with my dog, hang out with my wife on the front porch. That's Pretty much some of it. Sounds good. <laughs> Very cool. Sounds like a good life. I like it. Uh, all right. <laughs> so last question from me of the day, and the last of the famous four. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? For me, it's kind of a two-part thing. I think the first part is hard work. None of this stuff is easy per se. You know, I think you put your time in on the front end to reap the rewards later. It's not easy going out and driving neighborhoods and, and looking for deals and, and going to closings and, and then going and maybe doing some of the rehabs yourself. Or it, None of that stuff is easy. I mean, it's, it's much easier to just work your job, punch the clock, come home, take your shoes off, and that's it. Go to bed. So I think that's half of it. You know, the other half is persistence. I mean, uh, you know, it would have been real easy for us to give up after we had lost that bundle of money and say, well, we're never messing with real estate again. We're just going to work our jobs and collect our money and we'll put some money in the IRA and then we'll get a pension and, you know, and we'll live the rest of our life out. And that's the sum of it, you know? And, uh, but, you know, we, we didn't let that stop us. It wasn't something, you know, I, I never felt like maybe one of my more aggravating qualities, but I am persistent to the end of the earth <laughs> to the point. I mean, I have, I have gotten into music groups by being persistent, saying, hey, if your guitar ever quits, you know, you need to call me up, you know, and and uh, eventually one day the group said, hey, you know what? We need a guitar player. You want to come play with us? You know, so I I think hard work and persistence. I don't think there's any substitute for either one. I love it. I love it. All right. Before we let you go, Joe, where can people find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? You already gave the shameless plug. So, you know, no more of that. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> no. well, they can they can find me on the forums under JD Martin. I'm there on the forums pretty often. And uh, I've got this little mentoring side thing I do under bizbrainstormers.com. And it doesn't make any money, but it's fun. I get to talk to people and uh, I charge a little bit of money, but it's really just to make sure people don't waste my time because I have, don't have a lot of time to waste. So I do that a little bit and so they can, they can check that out and, but they can find me on the forums. I'm always there to, to impart whatever advice or smart aleck remarks I can for free. <laughs> right on. Very cool. All right, Joe. Well, take care. Thanks so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it and lots of luck to you going forward. Hey guys, I really appreciate it. And what you're doing with the forums and the site is phenomenal. I just want to give you that plug. It is the best real estate and business forum on the web, hands down. Wow. Thank you. Agreed. a lot. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks. All right, guys. That was Joe J.D. Martin, uh, was- episode 243 here of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Yeah. You know what I'm you know what I like about that show a lot? What's that? It shows that like even, you know, like there's even hope for guys like you, Josh. You know, average people, maybe a little bit below average guys like you can still make a, a good living, you know, investing in real estate. You know, it's it's that's what I love about him. The average Joe. Right. <laughs> and is that I, I'm trying to understand what I mean, what 
what are you trying to imply here? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying, you know, like you could be like Josh Dorkin here and, you know, just be an average guy, you know, and you can still succeed at real estate. Wow. That's great. That's great. Listen, I, I, I appreciate it. I take, I take anything that you say as a compliment, even Good. when you are trying to belittle me, tear me down. Yep. But, I, all day. Yeah. Well, that was, no, that was great. Good show. You know, I, I, I like what Joe's doing. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yep. And, and I think it would make a lot of sense for a lot of people. So, hey, there's another one in the books, man. Another one in the books. Yeah. And I, I, I like also, he doesn't have a hundred units, you know, like oftentimes we look at like, People come on the show and like, I, I'm guilty of it too. Like, oh, they got a hundred properties. They got a thousand properties. Like I got to go do that. Yeah. But like, Joe's like, well, what, what do I really want? I want to play music in the band. I want to go and, you know, spend time with my wife on the front porch. I love that they said that. Like, so I, for me, he, he bought a dozen properties, has financial freedom, pays all his bills if he needed to. But in the meantime, he just works the job he likes. He hangs out and does what he likes to do with life and takes care of his properties until he no longer wants to work that job. Sounds great. And, you know, yeah, it sounds like a pretty good life to me. So there is no cool. one path, right? There's no one path that works for everyone. And here's, I think, one of the biggest, best pieces of advice I ever got, which is you're not in a race against everyone else around you, right? Okay. You know, who cares if that other guy is is working on his hundredth unit or his thousandth unit? It's it's meaningless. What do you need? What do you want? Like, if you need one property. Hey, you know, like Brandon, you, you went and bought your, your daughter a house when she was born, right? Four, four yeah. yeah. I, I, I wish I had done that for my three children. Right. And I'm like, Oh man, maybe I should have done that. That would have been a great idea, <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's like, you know, even if you had just done that, yeah, right. It that, accomplishes that goal. That accomplishes a goal for her. Maybe yep. that's her college fund. Maybe that's her post-college, maybe that's her retirement. That's her nesting, wh- whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Um, so figure out what you need and, and go for it. I mean, you don't have to like shoot to be some big mogul. You you just got to figure out what you want, what you need. Maybe you want to be a mogul, but maybe you just want to be an average Joe. So yeah, maybe do well, what cool. you got to do. All right. Good stuff. Brandon. You want to go get some lunch? Let's go eat. All right. You guys, I'm Josh Dorkin. Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. It's time for it's time for it's time for the random five. All right, and coming back in real quick, we are going to end this show with the random six. So, <laughs> question for you, uh, Joe, JD. Would you rather be invisible or be able to read minds? And why? I would much rather be invisible because I do not want to know what most people are thinking. <laughs> most people know what I'm thinking. <laughs> there you go. Call. There call. You go. Right, w- <laughs> would you rather work for the FBI or NASA? I would rather probably work for NASA, but only because that goes against kind of my government paranoia streak. <laughs> there <we go. laughs> what is your dream car? My dream car is a 1969 Mustang Fastback. Nice. nice. When are you going to get it? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I used to have some of those old cars and I, I used to work on them and uh, it was a lot of fun. So maybe I might get one another once again another day. Yeah. So. Right. Have you ever had a teacher that's 
changed your life? And if so, how so? I have. I had a high school teacher. And when I was in high school, I got in, I got in a little bit of trouble with the law. And he actually wrote a letter to the court for me. And, um, and the court still wasn't lenient on me. <laughs> they still didn't care. The letter made no difference whatsoever to the court, but it made a huge difference to me yeah. that you know, I was probably somebody that was heading maybe down the wrong road. And um, to know that there was this guy out there that really had no, no reason to do anything for me other than he, he saw something there. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Brennan? What is your favorite card game? My favorite card game is probably a tie between Euchre and Cribbage. Yeah. Wow. I don't know Euchre. Isn't that what you play when you're like 80? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, but I'm really good at both of them. Yeah. So Joe goes down to the old age program. home and takes advantage of... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's part of my retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> awesome alright last question are you a good cook and if so or if not what is your what's the best thing that you make I am such a bad cook that I have actually melted pots <laughs> that is a true story wow. I have turned pots into molten shapes of metal so wow. I am generally not allowed to use the stove <laughs> luckily for me my wife is a fantastic cook so it doesn't matter <laughs> I love it I love it <laughs> All right, Joe. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. It was a lot of fun being with you guys. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R, today and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.